draw the association so much between title equals great with a running back like some other people are suggesting should come into play with Lev Bell. Uh, I think it's going to be very easy to kind of look at Bell as a mercenary, especially with the way, as we just talked about with Matt Williamson, about how the backs are used in Pittsburgh anyway. It's sort of Friday Night Lights, isn't it? It's sort of Billy Bob Thornton. Somebody get me a running back. We're just going to use them, burn them, and churn them, and get somebody else anyway. That's what we've been conditioned to know here. Yeah, maybe it was a little bit different for a long time with Jerome Bettis. Maybe those of us who can remember the 70s to a degree uh, felt a little bit more of an emotional attachment to Franco Harris and Rocky Blyer. But since then, not so much. Barry Foster got churned and burned. So did Bam Morris. So did Willie Parker. So did Richard Mendenhall. He just kind of burned us, period, aside from the one year in 2010. So I'm thinking about how these 16 games are going to go. And yeah, if he gets out of the gate slowly like he did last season, oh, it's going to be bad. Because now people know that it's not just a matter of uh, a lingering issue with his hernia, which we were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for last year. And even if we were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt based on injury, I think the animosity that is built up between Bell and the fan base based on his attempts to nonstop victimize himself during the course of these negotiations, that's been tabled. He doesn't get those points anymore. You know, looking back at that 2001 season for the Penguins, it's not that dissimilar from where the Steelers are now. They weren't viewed as the best team in the conference. When Mario came back, you thought they had a shot, but you knew that they weren't the best, but they got to the conference final. Similarly with the Pirates, they hadn't won a championship yet, and in 92, they were coming off the 91 campaign where John Smiley left, and R.J. Reynolds had left, and Bobby Bonilla had left, and Sid Bream had left, and it looked like some components had been subtracted, and Really, were they going to be as good as they were in previous years or had too many pieces gone away? And it's kind of where the Steelers are right now. You know, a lot of us going into 13-3 and in the playoffs last year thought this was their really good shot. Look at what they did against the Patriots. If it weren't for that bad call that screwed them, well, you know what? Maybe they would have gone to the Super Bowl or had the home field advantage to the Super Bowl. They can get the Patriots in the AFC playoffs, and they lost to Jacksonville. Now, as I pointed out before, you don't hear any talk about the Patriots up at Steelers training camp, do you? You hear more about why did you lose to Jacksonville as opposed to can you get over the hump against New England. So I think all those teams that I rattled off there are in very similar spots to where these Steelers are right now. And Bell is the most, it might be low-hanging fruit, but he's the most analogous player in that regard. 412-333. 9939. You can also tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. Is the relationship between Bell and the fan base going to be as tense as it was at the end for Yager here, as it was at the end for Barry Bonds here? A lot of people chimed in on that, and I want to kind of circle back to the topic and get back to what we talked about with Matt about Le'Veon Bell and how much he should be used this year. You know, sort of adding to this rift that might be there between the fans and Bells, the fact that the hometown hero, James Conner, the pick kid, James Conner, the kid that beat cancer, James Conner, the guy that didn't have a chance to get going last year because of injury, he's sitting there in the wings in the eyes of some to be Bell's successor. I don't think that's the case. 
I think they view him as nothing but a backup. I think they view him as a solid complement. I think that's why he was drafted. I think that's why he's still viewed or where he's still viewed as the number two here. I don't think the Steelers want him to be a number one running back, nor do they want to try. Their next next number one running back to replace Lev Bell, he's in college right now. I think what Randy Feetner said on these airwaves to me on Friday indicates that, that they're not going to try to work in Steven Ridley or work in James Conner anymore in 2018. They're going to go for broke for the Super Bowl here and then figure out afterwards what their running back situation truly is. But it's not like they're grooming a guy here to get more carries and more experience to replace Bell next offseason. I know there are some Pitt fans who disagree with that. There are some Connor fans who want to see that be handled differently. But I don't think that's how the team is viewing this. Disagree with you if you like, but that's my big picture view on it. 412-333-9939. Dustin is calling from Charleroi. Hi, Dustin. You're on 105.9 The X. How's it going, Tim? Good, Dustin. Hey, I wanted to bring up a situation uh, to you and see what you thought about it. Now, before I do, I want to let you know I do. I understand there are some big differences here, but and I have a bias towards hockey being a, a major hockey fan, but um, I think of the situation with Jonathan Drouin when he got sent down from Tampa Bay and was upset with his assignment and essentially just didn't show up. Now, I know that you know that's not necessarily a money thing or whatever, but I want to know at what point do you have to perform – or whatever to make things a big deal like this. What what makes it a di- a difference? Where you know, if somebody like that pulled something who was amazing, whatever you know, it's going to get a lot more attention in their favor. Whereas somebody like that, you know, it almost gets overlooked. So, what point here does it become such a big issue? Um, you know, that it's that it's that major. Where with him, it was just a. I'll blow it off, whatever, you don't show up. I think it becomes major after the first uh, two or three weeks, to be frank with you. I think if he comes out and plays poorly or doesn't show effort or gets off to the same slow start that he did a season ago, you're going to get a carbon copy of what you did last year times 10. I think people were upset with Bell to a point, but you know what? The offensive line wasn't playing great. You had the anthem thing as a distraction. I think there's going to be so much more focus on what Bell does or doesn't do on his own that you're going to see that be exacerbated. Uh, I think it's going to be about the same three-week window that we gave Bell before he started to bust out against Baltimore, and uh, even then to the eyes of many that he he just didn't do enough. Um, I think you'll also have some outside circumstances like Antonio Brown's health, the health of the offensive line that might come into play. You know, He could be a hero here. You know, like if A.B. has really got a problem or if Roethlisberger gets hurt and you got to lean on Lev Bell and he carries the team to four victories out of the shoots because of some other injuries, then you know what? Maybe he does get a little goodwill thrown his way. But it's going to take some sort of strange mitigating circumstances like that for it to be the case. Dave from Mars, you're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Hey. Yeah, uh... I think Colbert kind of hit it on the head with Bell last year. Like, yeah, he was definitely a pro bowler and a great player, but he could have been better. And I think that's exactly exactly it. I mean, um, you know, he was great, but not up to his potential. And I think a lot of that had to do with him sitting out. So do you see then the parallel falling apart because at least going off recent history, like, for instance, Bonds won the MVP, Yager won the Art Ross. So those guys were at their very best in their last season, and you don't see Bell being at his best again this year based on what you saw last year? Is that where you're going with this? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's past 
you know, past his prime. Um, I think one thing that those three have in common is they're kind of jerks, I guess, is one way to... Yeah, to yeah they were. <laughs> they uh, were, definitely. Maybe Yager's gotten over that. I've never gotten the sense that Barry has gotten over that. And Bell, no. I, I don't think Bell is a jerk, but he loves to act like one. Like, any time yep. I've ever interacted with Le'Veon Bell, I've never walked away from him saying, you know what, that guy's a jerk. But every time I'm on Twitter, I think that. Every time right. I look at Instagram, I think that. And every time I listen to one of his stupid rap lyrics, I think that. I think he thinks he is helped by making himself into a jerk, and I don't think he is one. I think that's some of the bad advice that he's gotten over the time here, the last two years, where it's been about, I want to be a badass when it comes to my contract negotiations, and I want to be a badass when it comes to the rap world, and I don't think it serves him well with the fan base. How about you? Yeah, exactly, and I don't see it getting any better. Like, where do you see it going after he leaves? I could see him kind of, like, fans hating him, not hating, but, you know, him sort of talking down about the Steelers and how he was disrespected. I could see this even getting worse. Oh, I could, too. I could absolutely see that being the case. I mean, what stopped him now? He's already tried to turn himself into a victim, and he's still here. So absolutely it could get worse. And I just want to take it back to something you said earlier. And this isn't just for you, Dave, but this is for any Steelers fan who's saying this right now. This this notion of he's past his prime anyway, and he's on the downside anyway, then I guess none of us should be upset then that he didn't sign a long-term deal, right? So did Bell do Pittsburgh a favor by not signing the long-term deal then? At that price, at, well, I guess it's, everyone's got a price. You know, if it's twelve million, but you know, fifteen million is a far cry from from twelve million, and he wasn't going to take twelve at fifteen million. I think he might have done us a favor. Do you want to pay him fifteen million when he's thirty, thirty-one years old? I don't. So maybe he did do us a favor. Yeah, you can you know add to that defense. I, I actually tend to agree, Dave. And thank you for the phone call. Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. Where I agree with that is. If you were to have said to me uh, after 2015, uh, the year that he got hurt in the AFC Championship game, but he had a great year prior to that when he came back from the suspension, if you had said we're going to work out a long-term deal with Le'Veon Bell, he's going to be here in Pittsburgh, it's going to be a five-year deal, it's going to be uh, $17 million a year, it's going to be every number he wanted now, even back then, I would have said okay. Because you're going to get two more really good years from him, which you got. Probably you're going to get a third really good year from him. I think he'll have at least one more good year before any of the wheels fall off. And then you do something about the last couple years of the deal. That's not all that inventive. That's not all that difficult to um, forecast. Whether it's in hockey, whether it's in football, whether it's in basketball, their cap's a little bit different. Uh, Even with some of the pitchers that have come down the pike in recent years that have been free agents. I remember... My gosh, even talking about this back in 2014 when I was in Boston about John Lester. All right, so you pay up front really big for the first couple years, and then you worry about the back end on the back end. And then maybe you try to make a move on the back end, but you're paying more for the now anyway. Now, though, yeah, maybe he did do them a a solid in a weird way by not signing the contract. I've always said that once they got into the franchise tag situation, I would have done exactly what turned out to be the case. Franchise him, franchise him, and then let him go. That's always what I planned and what I thought would be the best possible outcome and best possible scenario for the Steelers. I've always endorsed the franchise point of view. I'm stunned the Steelers went as high as they did, and where I come down negatively on Bell is, I can't believe he didn't take it. 412-333-9939. 
888-900-9939. Adam calling from Johnstown. Hi, Adam. Adam, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead, you're on. Yeah, I can hear you now. Hey, uh, my take is is that it is it was a 13 and three Steeler team, and I don't remember if he actually ever was the hero of winning a game or he was the you know the villain that lost us a game. He was uh, an essentially a teammate. Yes, his numbers were his personal numbers were good. However, but his overall the overall team played well to get to a 13 and 3 record and it wasn't his fault for Jacksonville so he's he's not worth the overall money in the grand scheme of team effort it wasn't like his the, Okay well, the, well hold on for one second though I'm not saying that you're wrong but I'm just going to bring up a couple other examples off the top of my head do you, do you give him sole credit then for Miami and Kansas City in the playoffs the year before because he was awesome in those games, but it also, but but it wasn't also all about him. Like I mean, but it wasn't all about him. Okay, but so I guess all, we could say that about any running back then, right? Or we yeah. could almost say that about any player aside from a quarterback, if you really want to be honest. Yes, unless you look at somebody other than A. B. Who can, you know, the yards after catch that A. B. takes, you can't deny that you he takes an, a seven seven yard slant route and turns it into a forty yard game. Right. Oh, he's definitely the best wide receiver in football. And I guess where I'm going with that point is I'm trying to struggle here to bring up the box score, to, you know, to, to correlate something the points. That, but no, I mean, like he that, was really he was really good in those playoff games too. You know what I'm saying? So, right. But something something that Madden has mentioned uh, on a week or two ago was uh, Le'Veon's argument was that he lines up in the slot. He lines up as a wide receiver. But the numbers of his catches when he lined up there didn't justify getting wide receiver numbers. Here, I'll give you an example. All right, I just found a couple games here where, just if you look at the wins and the losses, if you want to pin him with total credit or slap him with total blame, I would almost say that if they had ended up losing the Cleveland game to open, that one really could have been on him. I would have also said that if you looked at the game against Baltimore where they had nothing going in the pass game and he ground his way to 144 yards against the Ravens in Week 4, that is one where he could get total credit. You can even look at the New England game. We had 117 yards uh, on the ground and say that one he could have played the hero too. So uh, I'm just kind of giving you a couple that I'm spitballing here off the top of my head. Kansas City had 179 yards. Now Brown was the hero because he caught the ball at the end, but he was really good there too. So there were more where I would say be inclined to to give him a nod for being the best player as opposed to one that cost them. 412-333-9939. Coming up, Mark Madden joins us before the top of the hour. It's Herb's birthday, so we got to do the miracle speech before we're done too. It's 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, great show as always. When you got a young trophy wife, owes money to... I can't even quote the Big Lebowski right. Goodbye. The X at 105.9. Not a lot of time here. Uh, we've got to get to our discussion with Mark Madden, who called in for our usual Madden Monday podcast that we do over at Trib Live on the Breakfast of Ben's page. Uh, Mark on vacation, and most importantly, he saw Nelson along with Whitesnake. And this is a monumental moment that we discussed in depth, so we're going to tackle that as well as many other sports-related items. One thing we haven't talked about today is Danny Echeverria uh, joining the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
after I guess the Pirates mentality is let's get as many Tampa Rays as possible and we'll get to the playoffs that way. Uh, he hit 258 this year, um, infield bat. Uh, that'll definitely help them. And boy, did that come into play. Uh, just getting better bats off the bench for the Pirates has definitely come up as a talking point, even more so than the starting pitching. And no, Chris Archer didn't look like he solved anything in start number one. And like I said to open up the show, boy, have we seen a shift in dialogue coming out from Pirates fans in the span of one start. After he was acquired, it was, hey, Chris Archer is here. They're really making a push for the playoffs. And now Chris Archer had one less than stellar start. And it's, hey, do you think they could finish in third place and get 84 wins? That would be nice, right? Well, actually, yeah, it would. It just feels like a sudden seismic shift from the optimism that we had after the trades to get Archer here and to get Kelly here. And by the way, I was really surprised and a bit disappointed to see that the Cardinals' attendance numbers were less than that of the Mets the week before. Uh, I thought that enough enthusiasm had been drummed up about those acquisitions that it would have carried over more to the seats. But let me get to the thought already in progress about where the Pirates are in actual on-the-field stuff. Because at some point, we do have to talk about that, and I'm not sure we are still doing enough of that. That's been a drum that I have been pounding here as well as in print over at the Trib since the trade deadline. Uh, Part of the fun of being in a pennant race is you got to start talking about what actually happens on the field after the trade deadline has come and gone. You know, you have to analyze the wins and analyze the losses for what they are and suffer through the losses as much as you do celebrate the wins. You can't just talk baseball when they win the games and then talk about how great management was for going out and getting Chris Archer and Keone Kello when they lose. It shouldn't work that way. Like, you know... Figure out a way to get Matt Carpenter out once. I know you don't want to burn Josh Harrison coming off the bench when you did, but, I mean, for goodness sakes, Jordan Luplo as a pinch hitter there? You got the nobody coming out of the bullpen. You're using for three innings and have him hit for himself the night before? I mean, there's actual baseball stuff that you can talk about not liking freely from that Pirate Series over the weekend against the Cardinals, too. And, you know, beyond Hechevaria, who was sent down, there was a story that was put out by The Athletic. I think it was Jim Bowden who put it together, actually, yeah, about the uh, guys that you might see now that the non-waiver trade deadline has come and gone, guys that, um, you know, might have to clear before they're picked up. And, actually, that was Justin Verlander. You know, Houston traded for Verlander, at the August 31st postseason roster deadline. So it was another month later. So, you know, there are still some big names that can move, and he lists a couple here. Actually, Kutch is two, number two, after Josh Donaldson. And no, the Pirates aren't going to get Josh Donaldson. But if they hang around a little bit, I don't expect the boost for the Pirates lineup to come in terms of another arm. I think it's going to be somebody that can play the infield and hit a little bit. I mean, there are guys like Starling Castro on this list. Uh, maybe not an infielder, but Jose Batista. You know, it's not where you are. It's what you can do potentially for a month that could help the team. Shinsu Chu, I don't know where he would play necessarily with the Pirates. Maybe he could help out at first base instead of Osuna, who's not hitting the ball like he did before. But that's another name that he brought up. Keep those names in mind. If the Pirates somehow do stay around, I don't think management should consider themselves done if they somehow stay afloat in this wild card thing through the next week or two. 
Back with Mark when we come back here on 105.9 The X. X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Doing really well. Everything I hear from him is just some of the most insightful stuff. And did you take off your pants? The X at 105.9. I know what you're thinking. I completely expected to talk about the Pixies and Nelson on 105.9 The X today. There's no way this song is getting out of my head now. As much as the Bloodhound Gang was boring into my brain before, this is it's stuck. There it is. Now, done. Tim Benson for Mark Madden. Mark was watching Whitesnake again as they concluded their tour, and he also saw Scrap Metal open for Whitesnake. He joined me on the uh, Trip Live podcast, and whenever I fill in for Mark on Mondays, I play that back for you so you can hear from Madden on the road whenever he's not here in studio. And we got into a shockingly in-depth discussion about Nelson and other hair metal era rock and roll bands. Oh, and some sports, too, here on 105.9 The X. Well, yeah, Tim, Saturday night was the last date of Whitesnake's North American tour at the uh, Red Rock Casino uh, just outside Las Vegas in Summerlin. In fact, I drove by the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights practice facility. And uh, the opening act was a group called Scrap Metal, which is just a bunch of, you know, rock and rollers and different bands. You know, the, the lineup changes every time they play, and they play their greatest hits. Like Derek St. Holmes was there, who uh, sang on a lot of Ted Nugent's hit albums, Barry Gaudreau, who was one of the guitar players in Boston, uh, Michael Sweet, who's the current vocalist for Boston, of course, better known for his work with the uh, Christian rock group Striper. Uh, you get the idea, but it's organized by the two brothers who were in the group Nelson. Wow. You know, the, the, the long, blonde-haired type geeky guys. Right. And uh, today at Valet Parking, when I was checking out of Red Rock uh, on the way to Bally's on the strip for the remainder of my vacation... I had a lengthy conversation with one of the Nelsons. Now, I don't know which one because I don't know the difference. <laughs> this is the one with long hair that's a little heavier. Okay. But, but what a great guy. What a great concept scrap metal is. So I look forward to seeing their work. But, Tim, to talk to a member of Nelson, I mean, if you ever told me that, I would have said, wait a minute, who exactly is Nelson again? <laughs> but uh, a real nice guy and a real good show. Did either of the Nelsons go the wrong way on stage, as Juju Smith-Schuster has done apparently quite a few times in practice? Tim, uh, I tweeted earlier today that professionalism is out the window. You don't need to be a professional anymore. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster ran the wrong route at practice twice. That was reported by uh, Mark Caballi on Twitter. Uh, he covers the Steelers for the Athletic and uh, was done by way of him overhearing Ben bitching about it. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers quarterback, says Juju's head isn't uh, right today or words to that effect. And the next thing and you then, know, he comes uh, off the practice field complaining of a knee injury of some sort, right? Well, I, I don't, I don't know what he did or didn't complain about. Uh, I, I just know that he tweeted a picture of himself dancing on the sidewalk around his helmet at Latrobe, and the caption was "Most lit player in NFL history." Tim, maybe I'm just old. Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I just like to yell at clouds. But apparently, it's more important to be lit than it is to be a, a dedicated professional. Being professional is just right out the window. Unless, of course, you're Sean Rodriguez, when all you have going for is being a professional, and, and you can't hit my IQ, then it matters. But boy, just the perception of athletes today, what's important, what isn't, and the fans, uh, the Steeler fans, backing Juju to the hilt when I criticize him, it, it just really does, legitimately, honestly, throws me for a loop. But Tim, I know 
that the minute Juju drops the pass to cost the Steelers a game, then everyone will see it my way because that's how it works. Yeah, and you know something else, Mark? I think there's a large contingent of the media core that covers the Steelers that may have found it fun to advance Juju's fun last year, and he has alienated a large chunk of that portion of the media contingent, and uh, you're not going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt points when it comes to coverage of Juju this year like you may have last year. Well, I remember, um, I'm not sure who appreciate me quoting him, but I've done it in the past. Mike Pursuta, uh, early last season, everybody said how cute Juju was. And he said, this kid's about a couple more weeks from being one of the biggest a-holes on the planet. And uh, I think it certainly turned out that way. I think he has jumped the shark from cute to absolutely annoying, except apparently, Tim, it is important to be lit. I cannot underestimate the importance <laughs> of being lit. People talk about being lit. He's lit. He's lit. That's all that matters. Juju's lit, so I guess better to be lit than to be good because I expect him to soil the bed extensively this season. I just don't think he's mentally prepared. There was a story in the Post-Gazette, Tim, not long ago, where Juju was quoted as saying that football isn't everything. Well, that's the guy I want catching the ball on 3rd and 11 with the season on the line. The guy who says football isn't everything. That's why I'm happy that today, finally, Ben Roethlisberger was throwing to James Washington. He said with some defiance on the DVE morning show, uh, when was that, on Thursday, I suppose, that he hadn't thrown a pass to James Washington yet when he was asked, how is he doing? And... You know, Ben said, well, there's other guys in the depth chart he has to pass. Well, I want to see what he can do in an expanded role because, you know, something tells me in two to three years, if not perhaps even this year, he could be better than Juju, and he might still be a stealer with bigger-term plans than Juju, for that matter. Tim, he's not lit. <laughs> his time in the 40, his stats in college, his pedigree, how he's performing in practice, you're either lit or you're not. If James Washington is lit... I'm not interested. I'm just hoping after this podcast, Nelson becomes lit once again. Because they were back in the day. If you could have been lit back when Nelson was big, then they would have been lit. Tim, I can't even name one of their songs. <laughs> and what makes it even more depressing is I think I heard two or three of them at Scrap Metal. <laughs> Mark Madden. For... And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun of these guys. Really good guy that I ran into at Valley Parking. It's just, Tim, Nelson, I mean... Who'd have thought? That just came out of left field. I'll tell you what, Nelson is lit. Uh, Mark, let's get to the Pirates now. You referred to Sean Rodriguez, who continues to play despite everyone's protest that he shouldn't. And by everyone, I mean the fans and the media who follow the team. But apparently those who run the team think that him being on the roster and getting playing time should continue to happen, even as the Pirates have found themselves in wildcard contention. Tim, uh, the Pirates aren't going to get the wild card, and really never were. I think that they made two PR moves disguised as baseball trades. I think they knew they had to make those deals for Archer and Kella, uh, or the fans weren't ever going to come back. As a matter of fact, these crowds against the Cardinals weren't so great, so maybe the damage has just been done in perpetuity. But, uh, but in terms of why they're not going to make it, part of it's going to be because they're just not good enough. A big part is Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle, I don't know when it happened. Maybe the turning point was that 2015 wildcard game where he benched his bats and started his gloves, including Sean Rodriguez, who probably made an error. Clint Hurdle is just killing this team. He is starting guys I just can't fathom starting. Rodriguez batting in the ninth inning uh, today. That's just incredible. I don't know what Clint Hurdle is thinking. Has he gone soft? 
Has he gone stupid? What's wrong with the guy? I really don't know, but something's wrong. He's doing a horrible job. Mark, to your point about the likelihood of them making the wild card, or more specifically, the likelihood of them failing to make the wild card, I ran a web poll right before I went on for you on Friday, and 80% of respondents said they don't expect still the Pirates to make the playoffs despite the additions that they did at the trade deadline by getting Archer and Kella. So is this simply that fans, the enthusiasm, the wild enthusiasm about Archer, my goodness, the fawning, people still don't believe he's going to make that big of an impact. So is this just a token on behalf of Pirates management to try to bring people back? Well, no, it's not token, Tim, because it's always better to try and fail than it is to just roll over and die. Oh, sure, but I'm just talking about the expectation of them actually contending. I still don't get a sense that, and maybe that's what you were talking about as reflected. Tim, the Chris Archer we saw uh, in his Pirate debut, that's Chris Archer. Yeah, yeah, it has been. You're right. It has been for a number of years. I mean, can he get better? Yeah. Do I expect he will because of the adrenaline of switching teams and being on a team with a better chance than Tampa anyway, although not much of a better record? Yeah, I think he will. And don't forget, you have him and Kella beyond this year, but uh, if they expected, if the fans expected, if anybody expected that these trades would get them in the playoffs, I don't think that was ever going to happen. You would have had to get a lot better players than uh, than Kella and Archer. You'd have to get, like, you know, Christy Matthewson and Raleigh Fingers. <laughs> to, to, to to really have, you know, two trades. At this point, Tim, given the hole they had already dug for two trades to really make a difference. I'm with you as well as it relates to the wild card mark insofar as not only are they not good enough, uh, I think the Diamondbacks are showing that they're better than what they were in the first half of the season, and the Brewers, too, are also a better club, especially after some of the talent they added at the trade deadline. Oh, and t- Tim, the Washington Nationals are starting to make a run. Yeah, and that could push the Phillies back. And they're, they're ahead of the Pirates as we speak. Yep, and they're in contention themselves for the wild card, too. You're right. Yeah, they, they just have a great team. I mean, it's a bad record, but a great team. Hey, Mark, uh, finally, just two quick college football notes here. First of all, Kenny Pickett, the new quarterback for the Pitt Panthers, said that there's no way he guaranteed that they wouldn't go 5-7 and seven again this year. Does that mean they're going to go 4-8? and eight? <laughs> Well... He certainly can cling to that if it comes to that. <laughs> I just, I, I, I don't know about you, but I think this is going to be, and I know Pitt fans will hear that, and they'll come at me on Twitter, and they'll probably come at me with greater numbers than they will to Heinz Field, despite the optimism of their quarterback. Well, well, Tim, I mean, this, this QB played a handful of games, and the optimism about him is just overwhelming. I'll be very blunt. I, I have very little interest in Pitt football. I think it's coached by an egregious Ass hat, and I just don't care. Gas bag. Uh, I think you'd attach a couple names like that to Pat Narduzzi. Well, Tim, his problem, Narduzzi's problem, has been since the first day he got here, is he doesn't understand it's not East Lansing. He doesn't understand that he's a college coach in a very much predominantly pro sports town. Tim, if I went to the same bar as, as Pat Narduzzi, more people would recognize me. More people would ask me for my autograph. That's just how it is in this town. College sports don't matter that much. And he needs to embrace what he hasn't embraced instead of being an asshat. And lastly, how are you interpreting how Ohio State has handled the situation with their wide receivers coach and the spousal abuse claims and that of Urban Meyer? Maybe, you know, let's let's extend that, Mark, the way that it feels to me like he kicked it upstairs for the sake of kicking upstairs so maybe the AD gets canned instead of him. Is that how you're looking at it? I think they're greasing the skids to bring him back, don't you? To bring back Meyer? Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're trying to fire somebody else and make it look like they're firing the quote-unquote more important guy. But kind of in Jopa fashion at Penn State, the most important guy is the coach. Who are we kidding here? Tim, to me, the most amusing part, and really there's not too much amusing about this, but the amusing part is that Jay Paterno was stumping for Urban Meyer. Don't let the mob mentality get the besties. Preach to Ohio State. Tim, this idiot's dad has been dead for how many years, let alone not Penn State's coach for how many years. Get another job besides being Jopa's kid. For the love of God, I'm begging you. You're going to go to the grave being somebody's kid, nothing else. Uh, I, I just, again, it's, it's just one more reason to not be interested in one more thing. I, I don't care. I look at the sanctimony being expressed by some Penn State fans towards Ohio State, but at the same time, I think to myself, boy, who deserves that sanctimony thrown in their face more than Ohio State fans for the way they were lashing out at Penn State fans knowing how dirty their program has been over the years? Tim, I think the situations are almost identical, don't you? I'm not, I'm not you know, diminishing uh, domestic abuse. You know, certainly not, but... But, you know, very few sports scandals, very few scandals, period, could top the Sandusky scandal. But it's still the figurehead coach and de facto boss of the whole university knowing something and not doing enough about it in both cases. Now, I think they're going to say with Urban Meyer that there's no text, there's no email, there's no electronic trail where we know he definitely knew. And I think that'll be the reason to bring him back, don't you? Yeah, and I do think they want to bring him back, and there's more reason to bring him back. Jopa couldn't handle the after effects if they had held on to him, and frankly, if he had lived, if he had been healthy enough. Mentally, he couldn't. But Urban Meyer can, and he can skate through this. Well, you know where the whole problem started with Paterno, and I hate to do a rehash on that after how many years? He was just too old to handle what happened. Right, exactly. He stuck around too long. He was too old to handle... The scandal itself and the aftermath killed him as much as anything, I think. Before we uh, wrap up here, will you be attending any more Nelson shows and will Mark andre Fleury be in attendance with you in Vegas? <laughs> if I have my way. Uh, <laughs> uh, seriously, this Nelson, i got to look up which one it was now. This was the one who still has long hair and doesn't play bass, and it was a really good show. Tim, one thing I want to say about the Steelers, if, uh, I can just backtrack yeah, sure. for a second. Sure. Now, let me ask you a question. Doesn't this have the feeling of a season that could go horribly awry? I'm not predicting that. But doesn't that potential seem to be lingering there? You know, with the levy on holdout again, with A.B. being injured, with Juju being lit, with the defense not having solved its problems, they want to play safeties instead of linebackers, but we still don't even know who the safeties are. Doesn't this season seem to have a lot of bad potential? I think they're going to be at least three games worse, if for no other reason, Mark, than they kind of deserved that last year. And what happened? They kicked a bunch of game-winning field goals in super close games. Uh, not all six of those kind of events are going to happen in their favor this year. You know, they're going to lose a couple of those this year. And I think you're right. that. And aren't we overdue, by the way, for another Bell injury, for a Ben injury, for A.B. to miss some significant time with all the catches he gets. Uh, I think they're overdue for that on the offensive end, too, or for the offensive line to get hurt, by the way. We haven't seen a lot of injuries in that regard. And, Tim, I just think their immaturity is going to catch up with them. I would agree with that. I just do. I just I just look at, at Bell. I look at Juju. I will say A.B. has come a long way, but uh, <laughs> if anybody has potential for a relapse, Tim, it's him. I just think it could go real bad. I, I just... I'm not predicting that. I think, though, I'm with you. 
I think at the very least they're going to be like a 10 or 11 win team and no better. Now, maybe that'll still get them to where they want to go, and they'll have to do it the hard way, but there's no way they're winning 13 games again. Okay, is it uh, Matthew Nelson or Gunnar Nelson, do you think? Tim, I don't know. Okay, Gunnar? Did you manage to to Google any of their songs? Uh, Let's see here. I can find their discography here. I seem to recall, was there one called Baby, Don't Treat Me Bad? Oh, I remember that song, Baby, Don't Treat Me Bad. Yeah, okay, so... was that Firehouse? You said it's the one that doesn't play bass? Yes. Then it's Gunner. Because he, he was the okay, lead vocalist fine. and guitarist and drummer, yes. Uh, their greatest... Yeah, like, great guy. More Than Ever, After the Rain, Can't Live Without You and Your Love and Affection, and Voices That Care. Those are the big hits, apparently. Okay, so the song I remembered was not by <laughs> then. It, it, was, it was funny, Tim, because I, I did my usual convincing with Whitesnake, and in fact, uh, ran into uh, Joel Hoekstra, Reb Beach's guitar partner, actually saw me in a gym working out him. Wow. Life He's event there. people. <laughs> yes, exa- exactly right. And uh, I talked to Reb, of course, and Michael Devin. Uh, David didn't come out. I'm surprised. Coverdale, because it was the last show of the tour. I thought he'd, he'd, he'd come in the meet and greet room. But, but, but you know, he did a great show. But uh, I, I actually had breakfast across the table not uh, the, the, the next door table i should say at the uh, coffee shop yesterday was who turned out to be barry goudreau from boston wow who, who 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 looks just like tim i thought he was a roadie huh. <laughs> like no no i mean not, i'm not knocking the guy he's very old okay but but he was and he was great when he played but uh, it's just to see some of these guys go up there like like Phil Lewis from L.A. Guns, Derek St. Holmes. It was it was something. It was uh, Kip Winger from Winger with Winger's guitar player in the other band. It was just it was a it was a madhouse. Which one is this again, Bob? After the fire. Sorry, a- after the rain. Firehouse was in fact who sang "Don't Treat Me Bad." So we want to get on the same page there and properly credit Nelson for After the Rain. Tim Benson for Mark Madden. That was Mark from our Trib Live podcast. You can get it every Monday at Breakfast of the Benz. It's a Madden Monday, which we post for you each and every Monday morning, and I usually play it back when I'm in for Mark on Mondays. Thanks for joining us. Before we go, uh, over the weekend, actually yesterday was Herb Brooks's birthday. He would have been 81. He passed away at the age of 66 in a car accident Shortly after his birthday, August 11th is the date of the day that uh, Herb Brooks passed away, former Pittsburgh Penguins coach and scout, and of course, best known for leading Team USA to victory and a gold medal in 1980, beating the Russians at the semifinals and then winning the gold medal against the Finns shortly thereafter. And um, immortalized by Kurt Russell in the movie Miracle which probably will make me cry for the 400th time, even leaving the studio right now as we start to play it. But I thought it only appropriate to wrap up and honor Herb Brooks's birthday with this. Great moments. <laughs>